Alright, welcome everybody to episode 4 of the Kingsmith Podcast. Mm. And this has been a day. Yeah, today's been a fun day, but that is okay, because we're going to talk about some conflict management. Yeah, well, well, we'll get to that in a moment. Nathan, yes. how are you doing? What's new with you? Uh, well... You see, I did this little thing called a bachelor party. Whoa. Yeah, I know. Went on a bachelor party. We went to uh, North Carolina and hiked a little bit of the Appalachians out there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, drove there and back within three days. So it was a real quick run, but it was a good time. Mm-hmm. What's new with you, Zachy? Uh, I just got off uh, spring break. Ooh. For, for school that was fun got some homework done got some other stuff done got some mm-hmm. a little bit of you and me I know you and me had some fun times during the break now yep. now I'm heading back to school and we're getting gonna get some stuff done there you go um, sounds cool to me dude before before we start on the big main topic Nathan yeah I, I have noticed something happening in the sports world. Oh, and that might be what? It appears to me that the Jets might be making a move for Aaron No, Rodgers. I still think you're wrong. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know, man. They're freeing up cap space. They're, they're, there, are to, there are reports that they're getting a contract negotiated with, with Aaron. Nah. That's all hogwater. All right. Well, I think it's all hogwash. You, you think it's all hogwash? No, I think it might happen. He might pull a Brett Favre here. He might pull a Brett Favre. But if he was actually pulling a Brett Favre, he would go to the Vikings, not the Jets. Anyway. Besides, how many times did Brett Favre retire? Like... Four or five times. At least two times. At least three times. Yeah, two or three times. And now he's suing people for a living, so. After getting in trouble with other things. But that's beside the point. No, no, no. I don't want to get sued by him now, so we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. All right. There's just been a lot of things today, hasn't there? There's just been a lot of things. Which makes it a perfect day to record an episode about conflict management. Yeah. Resolution within the uh, church body. So, Nathan, mm-hmm. what should conflict management look like in the church body? Well, if you look at this here, Matthew 18. Whoa. Forgive me for taking a drink of my now depleted lunch drink. Yeah, we just, I think we just noticed that, Zach. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew 18. Starting in verse 15, I read out of the NASBA. N-A-S-B. Alrighty. But you uh, can use whatever translation you like. Except for the message. Nobody likes the message. Does have the message, the, 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 the recipe for Rice Krispies, I've heard. Wait, what? The message? It has... It has the recipe for Rice Krispies? I'm sorry, that's a reference to an old Tim Hawkins sketch. Oh my gosh, that's been a second. Yeah. 
So man. we're, we're going to be watching old Tim Hawkins sketches for a little bit after we, we're done with the podcast. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so if y'all turns to Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, if you're driving, obviously do not do that. But I'm going to do it because I'm sitting down. And not driving. Exactly. says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to, to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even uh, to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Uh, okay. That's a few things going on there. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask it shall be done for them by my father who is in heaven for where two or three have gathered together my name I am in the midst hmm wow okay just on that ending verse hmm just like being where two or three are gathered, gathered in Christ's name he is there among them yeah that's amazing guys let's, let's just recognize that yeah. That having Christ with us and with our, among us in a gathering of friends or uh, in a gathering of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's just an amazing, an amazing uh, fact that we should not forget. Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, and glorifying Christ should be our main goal, whether that be through ultimately, yes. corporate worship or private worship. It's just worship. Yep. That's all it is, brother. Anyway. So, Zach. Oh, no, Zach! I hit you. Ow. How do you respond? I say, ow, Nathan, why did you hit me? Hmm. Publicly? No, publicly. Not publicly, privately. But what if I hit you in public? Then I'll still say, ow, Nathan, why'd you hit me in public? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) But, but, if you're gonna be like, hey, we should talk later about you're stupid. I feel like we talk a lot about you're stupid. And my stupid. (laughs) And our generic stupid. Folks. I think think we're being too, uh... uh, Facetious. Facetious here. (laughs) All right, but... Too generalized. But anyway, let's just say one day, Nathan. Yeah. I do something that you think is wrong. Mm. Do you call me out on it? And let's say the campus cafe at Calvary? No. 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 What? No, we ain't doing that. Look at the passage here. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Well, the last time I checked, a cafe ain't private. <laughs> oh, no. Of course not. Nope. And, uh, so I know, neither is our church sanctuary, and neither is, you know, the lobby of your church, and neither is anywhere where there's a big group of people. If you're in a public setting 
any public setting and you feel the need to confront somebody, hold your tongue. Yep. And Nathan, we both of us, at, at least at this point, live on the campus of Calvary, mm-hmm. which means you could easily, from your apartment, come over to my room in the dorms. Yep. Knock on my door and say, hey, Zach, there, there's something we, I'd like to talk to you about. Ooh, that brings an interesting dynamic. Or even, or even better, we both have phones. We both have each other's number. You could just yep. text me. Just say, hey, Zach, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. Could you come over to my apartment and we can talk about it? There you go. Honestly, confrontation today is so much easier than it was even 20 years ago. Yeah, of course it is. We have instant private communication with anybody. Like, honestly, keeping the first, this first verse here of uh, Matthew 18, Matthew 18, 15, of what we read, that's the easiest part. And I know some people are like, oh, I hate confrontation. It gives me anxiety, this, that, the other. Trust me, the anxiety that you have by not confronting somebody and letting something go is going to ultimately give you more anxiety. And let me make one thing clear. You don't need to correct everybody on every single little thing, you know? No. Right. Not so, at all. And that, and if there's something you'll find annoying about a person, you can talk to them. Just say, hey, I find this annoying. Mm-hmm. Could you stop doing it around me or at the very least tone it, tone it down? But wait, wait, wait. Where's the bar? Where's the line in the sand between what is personal towards somebody and what is an actual problem. Maybe I should rephrase that. Where's the line between conflict and what people uh, the line between conflict conflict and what people prefer? Where's the line, Zach? Ooh, that is a good question, man. Mm. Um, ultimately, I think that line is up to each person. Um, like, yeah, uh, up to each person. So, um, like, uh, for instance, I'm trying to think of a good illustration. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, let me use um, David, King David, as, a, as an illustration. Ooh, there we go. I, I just thought of this. Um, so, we know, recorded in the Bible, King David had an affair with Bathsheba, right? Yeah, he did. Then, in a process of uh, events, he tried to have her husband come home, go sleep with her, so he thought the baby would, so her husband thought the baby would be his. Mm Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't work out that way. Said, okay, enough of this. Husband goes to the front lines, dies. So not only has David committed adultery, he's essentially committed murder. Mm-hmm. That, if somebody does something like that, whether it's committed adultery or committing murder, that is a problem, and that should be addressed in the church. Right? Right. If you prefer, if you prefer to not hang around certain people for 
because they do certain things, right? Right. right. It's just say they mm. send you way too many memes. They yeah, whatever. They it could be anything. It could be anything. You know, Zach. I think scripture actually gives a definition of this in Romans Ooh. fourteen. Ooh, Romans fourteen. Do share. Romans fourteen. We'll go verses 1 to 3, maybe even 4. It says, Romans 14, 1 says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only, saying that he's vegetarian. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Honestly, God's accepted the both of them. So, what is this saying here? Okay, so, we have the person who maybe came out of a bad situation, and Paul is using the example of they're not going to eat meat because they just can't do it. It might trigger them, something, this, that, the other, whatever. The point is, is that they're not going to eat meat. But then you have another Christian where they can eat whatever they want because God has cleansed everything. Let's right. say a Jewish person has come to know Christ and they don't want to eat ham. Zach, here's a question for you. If you, as a Gentile believer... Mm-hmm. who has never had a problem eating anything that you want. Not right. in a negative connotation, you just can do it. Yeah. Would you go to a Jew- Jewish person's house or invite a Jewish person over to your house and offer them bacon? No. But why not? It's free to eat. You're a Christian. Right. But that doesn't mean I'm going to completely disregard where that Jewish person came from. Hmm. Right? Exactly. But this passage just said you're not supposed to disregard another, right? Right. Or regard with contempt. Basically, you're not supposed to hate the person who thinks differently than you about something. So what's the line? Well, if we look at verse 6, it says, He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the lord for he gives thanks to god and he who eats not for the lord he does not eat and gives thanks to god so it's all an act of worship right hmm. interesting now, connotations right. there now so nathan yeah that passage mentions two two sets of people, right? Uh huh. Somebody who feels comfortable eating meat mm-hmm. doesn't see a problem with it, doesn't see anything wrong with it. Yeah. Is fine, right? Yeah. Which I think both of us are in that camp. Yep, we are both in that camp. You can eat whatever meat you want. Um, and then there's the other camp, those yeah. who say, "Hey." These animals are God's creation. We should not be eating them. Yeah. 
there's multiple camps. Here's the deal. If you keep going to verse 13, it says, this verse 13 of Romans 14 says, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. For I am convinced, uh, I know I and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him it thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Hmm. Okay, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with them with your food for him. Uh, wow, I can't read. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Okay. Here is an interesting point. This is where it is, where the line is drawn. Okay, we've said that a few times. The line is drawn, and now it's very, 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 very abundantly clear. Right. This isn't talking about salvation. Because it's talking about our brother in Christ. The problem is, the, the, the subject matter here is worship. Right. Zach, you a Gentile, you eat pig meat, okay? okay. You give a Jewish person bacon. Is that Jewish person going to be able to worship God? Typically, will that Jewish person be able to worship God and eat a slice of bacon at the same time? Most likely, the answer is... No. Bingo. And okay. Yes, sir. Sorry. And that doesn't mean... We're not... Listen, y'all. We're not saying that if a Jewish person came to faith and came to the conclusion and said, Hey, mm -hmm. God has called pig meat clean. I can eat of it and freely partakes in pig meat. Mm -hmm. That's not the issue. The issue is mm -hmm. a a person of Jew a fellow believer, a fellow Jewish believer, has come to you and said, "Hey, because of my background, I do not feel comfortable eating pig right. meat. Could we avoid it? You can come. You you can say, okay, we won't have pig meat for dinner." But now, what about Christian music? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I struck a nerve. Uh-oh. Now, Nathan, hmm. I, I have, at Calvary, I have always been known as, a, as the classic hymn guy, right? Right. Like, give me amazing grace, you know, uh, Be Thou My Vision is another one of my favorites. Mm. Now, mm. However, that does not mean I can judge somebody based off of their musical choices when they des desire to worship, right? Exactly. You know, there's there's some camps going around, and this has been this debate's been going on for ages, Zach. Right. But there there are people who, depending on the author or depending on the music choice or anything, really. They get upset. Not at the individual song itself, but the fact that they're supporting certain writers. Okay? 
Here's where I stand with things. From a Romans 14 biblical perspective, if you are a worship leader, if you are a person who has any say, any authority over the music or over really any teaching, because that, you know, music is part of that too, right. any right. teaching in the church, you should be wary of your sources. If you have members in your church who, when they sing certain Bethel and Hillsong songs, that the only thing that they can think about is, oh my goodness, this was done by Bethel. That, I'm sorry, is a stumbling block. Mm-hmm. That is a stumbling block. Now, if most of the people in your church are fine with it, then okay. And honestly, group dynamics does play a little bit more into that. Right. Sure, you're going to have people who say, I really wish that we wouldn't sing something or we wouldn't teach something or something like that. Right. But is that necessarily being a stumbling block? Well, no. If people have a preference within a group setting, but that precedent, that, that, uh, preference isn't necessarily a something that someone's going to die on the hill on. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't worry about that too much, Zach. Is that a accurate or a good way to say that, Zach? Yep. And now that we've established that line, I think we should go back to Matthew 18, right? Mm-hmm. And... Okay, so... So we got through verse 1. Got, <laughs> or got, verse 15, anyway. Verse 15. So, verse 1 is, you have, somebody has sinned against you, go to them privately first. Mm -hmm. Verse 16 says, but if he won't listen, take one or two others with you. So that, and I love this, Mm -hmm. my my Christian Standard Bible uh, has this in bold. Yes. That this next statement, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, yep. every fact may be established. Yeah. Why might that be important, Zach? Well, it, it, I think it goes back to the uh, Jewish legal system, and mm-hmm. yeah. So it goes you, back to Hebrew time. It goes back to Hebrew time. So back in the olden days, in like Leviticus, in the in the Torah, mm-hmm. uh, God set up a law of you know having two or three witnesses in any kind of legal court case type mm-hmm. of thing, right? And even now, even today in America, we still have, hey, a witness would help, yep. you know, clarify this. Yep. Right. So, having two or three witnesses, two or three other people besides mm. yourself to say, hey, th- this is how events went down, yep. is important. Yep. It's very important. It's happened today. 
It happened with me today. It happens with... Well, really, any situation. There was stuff at work just a month ago. Right. I had to confront somebody. They didn't take it well. There was another individual who was there. They went and confronted the, helped confront the situation. And after that, we were all right. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's, it happens all the time. And honestly, I think most people follow the Matthew 18 process without even knowing it. Right. A lot of people also ignore it without even thinking about it either. Right. Speaking of the process, what's the next step in the process? Hmm. Well, if you get one or two more people with you and it still don't work, that's when you take it to the church. Okay, this is where context gets important. Right. And by the way, guys, this is why the two or three witnesses is important. So when you go to the church and say, hey, this person has done wrong, mm -hmm. you have two or three other people that can confirm the wrongdoing. Okay. So, the word church, at least the way that it's translated, is brought up here. Right. Zach, when did the church start? I'd say the day of Pentecost. It started on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, correct? Right. But who's speaking? Jesus. So, hmm. Hmm. What does that tell you about the context of what is being said here? This isn't referring to just local church organizations. Right. What's it talking about? This is talking about the universal church, right? This is talking about, if you look at... Yes, you're right. Ultimately, in context, you're right. Because it says, if your brother sins... Guys, that could be anybody. And quite frankly, who are we to judge who is saved or not? We don't know who's saved or not. Right. Would it be safe to say that maybe you should handle all conflict in this way? Right. Hmm. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the ecclesia. Now, we would normally say church, which is an absolutely accurate translation. However... Right. A more accurate way of looking at it or thinking about it, because the word church has a cultural context and connotation for us. Right. Think of that as a synagogue or an assembly or a group of believers, a congregation. Right. You take it to a group of believers... And then those group of believers should do what, Zach? What should they do? Oh, oh, it says right here. If he does not pay attention to the church, treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. So those church members, those congregational leaders, those people who are involved with the local body also have to confront the situation. Right. Because... The person has to listen to the church. But if he refuses to listen to them, then why? 
then he is to be like a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, what does that mean to us today, since we are Gentiles? Honestly, being Gentiles doesn't... The word Gentile doesn't mean much in terms of the separation of believers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus is making a cultural statement here, though. Yes. Right? Absolutely, yes. So, and the, let's go back to the culture of the day. It is to be... They are to be treated as unclean mm-hmm. and traitors. Pretty much. Because that's what tax collector basically means to the Hebrew, to the oh, Jew, yeah. Jew of, the, of the Roman era. Because there were several Jews who saw an opportunity to mine their own pockets, maybe get themselves some safety mm-hmm. from, from Roman punishment, whatever you want to call it. Yep. And they decided to become tax collectors for Rome. Yep. And they were viewed by their Jewish brethren as traitors to their blood. The actual, the translation, you're absolutely correct. If you look at the word Gentile here, the word is actually ethnikos. Right. Which some people might say, hmm, that often sounds like ethnic. Yes. Right. Basically, in this context, culturally, that word ethnikos means Gentile, or more accurately, a heathen. Oh, so what is that saying, Nathan? So, with the cultural context in mind, that's saying, let them be to you as a heathen, a tax collector, a Gentile, a dog. Gentiles are often compared to dogs, and right. actually it directly is. Uh, it, it, let them be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Right. What that might look like today... If there's a conflict with any local church body, that probably means anything from as little as cancellation of membership or probation of membership to disfellowship. Right. And so they're, they're also, mm-hmm. um, at least in the Roman Catholic setting, that means excommunication. Right. For a lot of people, that unfortunately means excommunication. I yeah. don't believe excommunication to be the correct way to, to handle things. No. But clearly, I think from this passage, we can see mm-hmm. that what Jesus is saying is, hey, if somebody does wrong, confront them privately, one-on-one. If they don't listen... Take two, two or three other people with you, mm-hmm. right? If they don't listen to that, take it to the church. Have your witnesses, yep. have your two or three other people confirm what you saw. Yep. Right? Yep. And if they do not listen to the church... There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can don't do. Don't waste your breath. Probation of fellowship, probation of fellowship with the church, or probation of me- of membership. membership. I yeah. Cancellation of membership. Disfellowshipping. Disfellowshipping. 
All options. All options. And it really does depend probably on the error. Right. Or the issue. And that's, yeah, that's something. And honestly, I think that's something that the church elders need to, um, whoever your church elders, deacons, honestly, whatever, I don't think it actually matters. I think that having a church board is absolutely biblical, but whatever you call it, I don't care. But there's definitely insight that they have to have in order to move forward with a... mm, I don't know if punishment is the uh, right word. Maybe consequence might be the right word. Yeah, consequence, yeah. There's a consequence that has to come about as a result of everything. Yeah. Now, if it's something like, hey, Susie dropped a pencil on my big toe. That might hurt. The consequence might be, don't do it again. But if it's something as much as, hey, somebody ripped me off. $5,000, $10,000, and I've tried to confront them on it, and I brought somebody else in, maybe a lawyer, maybe somebody that was there when the documents were signed. Right. They didn't listen, and now you're going to the church board about it, and the church board looks at it and says, yep, this happened. What do you think the punishment might be? Well, the punishment might be paying back and make it right, right, or... You might not be asked to come back. Or you might ask to not come back. Yeah. What happened to Ananias? He ripped a god off, didn't he? Yep. And Peter said, the heck, Ananias, what you doing? (laughs) Boy, that's a paraphrase. Paraphrase. (laughs) That's a a heavy paraphrase, y'all. But Peter, bas- Peter basically just said, the heck, Ananias, what you're doing? Why are you ripping off the Holy Spirit? And Ananias... He died. And then what happened to Sapphira? She tried to do the same exact thing. And, and Peter's like, dude, you're doing the same exact thing that got your husband killed. Fix it or die. Again, paraphrase. Yep. yep. Well, they didn't fix it. And they both done did dead. So don't rip God off. Right. Now... Zach, you made an interesting observation about the passages surrounding what we've already read. Right. So, if you look at verses 10 to 14, so this is just before Jesus goes into this whole, hey, Mm -hmm. if a brother needs correcting, correct him speech. Yeah. Um, It is the parable of the lost sheep. Let me see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it's the parable of the lost sheep. And yeah, I'm going to basically summarize it because, you know. Time. Time. <laughs> no, I got you. Um, So everybody knows the parable of the lost sheep, or everybody should. But here's the basic tenets. Here's the basic, like, timeline of events, I should say. So we have this, this sheep herder, or the shepherd. Mm-hmm. He, he's... Managing a hundred sheep, right? He's taking them to the pastures, mm-hmm. to the calm waters, to to everywhere they need to be to to you know function as normal sheep do. Right. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, along the along the events of the day, one of them gets lost. 
Ooh. So what does the shepherd do? He, he finds him. Goes out and finds him. He leaves the 99 to go out and find this one. Yep. Right. So, mm. in that aspect, if Jesus is our is our shepherd, as yeah. people have called him for centuries, centuries, <laughs> if Jesus is our shepherd and he's a good shepherd, and he goes out to find lost brothers and sisters and brings them back, what do you think that means we should do, Nathan? Mm. Probably means we should go get lost ones back too. Right. That's not talking just about the gospel here. Right. There's a few different connotations that that's talking about. Right. And then he follows it up with... With Matthew 18.15. With the restoration of a brother to fellowship. But even before the parable of the lost sheep, we have something interesting. We have a discussion, three verses, about the temptation to sin. Verse 7. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. Hmm. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to enter your life to uh, for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. What's he talking about? Does he mean physically rip yourself limb from limb until you can't sin anymore? Well, no, because if that's the case, then we'd all be dead. Right. But, you know, the, the... Church is also referred to as the body of Christ, right? Mm. So you mean there's a bigger context here? So you know, he's saying here, if someone in the body is not is a stumbling book and not functioning as they should in a church setting, mm-hmm. right? It is better to go on without that person in the church. Than to, you know, keep going with it and be thrown mm. into the eternal fire. Or, more accurately, maybe to keep others from being saved. Because if right. an unbeliever walks in and they see dissension, they're not going to want to come back to that church. Right. But now, personally, you're having a sin issue. You all do. We all do. If you're having a sin issue... We all struggle, guys. It's okay. you got that right. If you're having a sin issue, cutting things off. Hmm, What's the translation of that? Well, if we are to be new creations in Christ, dead to sin, alive to Christ, therefore we should not sin anymore. Romans chapter 6, shall we continue in sin so grace may abound... Meganoite, which means never, may it never be. God forbid it. God right. forbid it all the way. Right. That just means we're not supposed to sin anymore, guys. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to willingly do that. If you have to put physical guards up for yourself in order to keep you from sinning, if you need an accountability partner, if you need counseling, 
If you just need to be better, then do it. If you need to separate yourselves from something that, you know, makes you stumble. Mm -hmm. Sometimes physical separation is the best thing for you. But not only that, when you're having a sin moment, especially a personal one, okay, it could be anything. It could be going on social media and spouting your mouth. It could be looking up pornography. It could be doing anything that is sin. One of the best remedies, replace it with the Bible. Right. If you're struggling and you're having a mental war with yourself, go to the Bible. Trust me. It doesn't matter. Take your Bible, drop it on its spine, and whatever page opens, just start reading. Okay? Do whatever you can possible to flee sin. Yeah. And that includes memorizing the Bible, you know? Mm-hmm. I've had times, you know, I grew up in Awana and, and you know, programs like it. Mm-hmm. Where I had to memorize verses of the Bible. Oh, yeah. If, if you are struggling with sin, start memorizing certain verses that, that, uh, that you know, relate to that sin. Mm-hmm. And who knows, when you start when you start having those thoughts of sin and start praying and Lord, I'm in trouble. Help me. Mm-hmm. Guess what happens? The Lord will bring those verses to your mind. You don't need to know the chapter, book, and verse. That's okay. That's okay. That's what Google's for. <laughs> right. Sorry. You don't need to know the chapter, the chapter, book, and verse. You can just be like. This is a verse that relates to my sin. I remember it. Read. Read, 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 and don't stop. Read. Zach, what's another observation about the surrounding passages that you've seen? Well, okay, right afterwards, like right after Jesus gets done with this whole spiel, Mm -hmm. in verse 21, it says, Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Hmm. Verse 22. I tell you, not as many as seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven? How many times is that? I don't know off the top of my head. 144. 144? (sighs) I'm not good at math, guys. Wait a minute. No, it's not. I'm thinking it's seven times two. No. Uh, 14. Wait. No. All right. Sorry. We're both bad. Hold on. Hold on. That's We're bad at this. 490. Okay. 490. Whatever. Well, I just dropped my phone. You, on over do here. you realize what that means, Nathan? 490 times. Zach, you had a question. I'm sorry. You know what that means? Mm-hmm. That means we should be willing to forgive our siblings as many as 500 times. Hmm. I'm rounding up there, but still. As many as 500 times. Do you think the point is to keep track? No. No, because love keeps account of no wrong. Right. So, if love keeps account of no wrong, but Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Hmm. 
For this reason the kingdom of heaven, continue reading, for this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Oh, wait a second. He's going into a parable here. Oh, my gosh. But to finish the point, the point being, we're not to keep track of wrong. And ain't nobody going to keep track of 500 wrongs. The point is that you're supposed to love and forgive. That doesn't necessarily mean trust. That doesn't necessarily mean you keep enabling people to do the things that they were doing that are sinful. Right. But you do forgive them. Because what does a life of bitterness and hurt do? Nothing. Remember the story of Ahithophel and the treachery of Absalom. Right. This is this is back when David was king. Okay. You have Ahithophel. He is David's number one most trusted dude. He's the counselor guy. David goes to him for everything forever, and then all of a sudden he just disappears out of the account for a long time. Either at least a decade, if not multiple. Right. If memory serves me correct. It's been, it would have been several years. Between mentions of, between two terrifying mentions of Ahithophel. But then you have the treachery of Absalom. Absalom rises against King David, and who's Absalom's no, number one guy? Whoop de doo, it's Ahithophel. It's Ahithophel. Well, why? Well, this is when genealogy gets fun. Yes, I said it. Genealogy gets fun. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandpa. Oh my gosh. So Ahithophel saw what King David did to Bathsheba and Uriah, who were his uh, granddaughter and grandson-in-law, and got so bitter that he quit, went off to the mountainside for years, and then when he had the chance to spite King David, he gave Absalom the advice that he needed. But before Ahithophel could actually act on some of the things that he wanted to do, guess what he did, Zach? What did he do? He committed suicide. Oh my gosh. So, why does Jesus say to us, forgive him up, up to almost 500 times? Maybe it's to keep ourselves from being bitter. Right. Hmm. And also, like you, you, you went a bit briefly into the parable. Mm-hmm. If I if I could summarize this parable that Jesus goes into, right after he says, "Forgive him," nearly five hundred times. This parable is talking about a king or yeah. a ruler of some land. Yep. We don't know what's happening. We don't know what's going on. All we know is that this king wants to settle all his accounts with his servants, slaves, subjects, whatever you want to call them. And we just started to go into this. It's verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Accounts being financial accounts in this situation. The kingdom of heaven, we have to remember here that the slave owner in this situation would be God. Right. And the slaves are us. Right. 
That's what God is saying here. That's what Jesus is saying. Right. Zach, what does the passages here say? So, again, this is a summary, not a in-depth analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, since um, this king, a.k.a. God, yeah. is wanting to, uh, you know, settle financial accounts with, uh, with his servants. Mm-hmm. So, this one servant comes in and owes 10,000 talents, it says. Mm-hmm. 10,000 bucks. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. What does this, ser- this servant goes into? I was about to ask what does he do, but I'll, I'll continue summarizing. Yeah. But so this can- the king brings this guy in, this debtor, mm-hmm. and he says, hey, do you have my money? And the, 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 de- the servant falls on his knees and starts begging the king, yeah. please allow me more time to be able to, to repay you. And what does the king do? He has compassion. Verse 27. Verse 27. Then the master of the servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's three different things here. The lord of the slave, the slave owner, felt compassion. Right. He released him, and not only did he was he compassionate and released him, but he just forgave the debt. You know, you know what that means, Nathan. Hmm. The, this this master, this mm-hmm. slave owner, looked down and saw this guy basically on his hands and knees begging for more time to pay back the debt. Yeah. Yeah. The this. This master found it in his heart. Yep. And saw, looked on him with compassion. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, he can't pay it back. Yeah. Hey, guards, release him. And then pointed down to the slave. You are I'm, forgiven. You are forgiven of that debt. Mm. Oh, that's And let him go. But now, what did the slave do? The slave, the servant. What did he do right after he got released? He went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Basically, a hundred bucks. Right. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. Whoa. And guess what happens? This servant, this this other servant, mm-hmm. begins prostrating himself to the original servant, right? Yeah. Follows John's on his hands and knees. Please beg me. Please forgive me. Give me more time to pay off the debt. Yeah. This servant, however, did not have the compassion that his master did. Threw him in prison. Threw him in prison. Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported it to their master. Everything that had happened. Every word. So. And then what did he do? What did the Lord do? The master brings their servant in and says, How dare you not forgive this man of a hundred dollar yep. debt when I forgave you for a ten thousand dollar debt. Yep. That's it, you're going to prison until you can pay off the debt to me. And then what 
it wasn't just prison that he got handed off to. He got handed over to the torturers. But then, verse 35, my heavenly Father, going back to Jesus speaking in the first person, not in a parable form, right. says, my heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Does the Lord punish his children? Does the Father punish his children? Zach. Yes. Therefore, if I wrong you, and I wrong the Lord, and the Lord forgives me of wronging him, but I don't... Uh, wait a second. Did I do that right? No. No. You wrong me, I wrong the Lord. I'm sorry. Right. If I wrong the go. Lord, and the Lord forgives me, but then you wrong me, and I don't forgive you... The Lord's going to have something to say about that, I think. Right. Which goes back to Matthew 18. If Matthew 18, we're in it. I'm sorry. Matthew 18, verse 15 is where we go back to. Right. If your brother sins, go show him his fault in private. And with that, that's where we need to end for the day. Right. So, if I could summarize what we talked about the Lord has forgiven you of an incalculable debt that you could not pay mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. therefore wrong of you to not forgive your brother or sister in Christ that wrongs you mm-hmm. that's it that's it that's it that's the summary. But Forgive also, each other and handle conflict right. Right. There's a process to conflict, y'all. Don't and don't get it out of order either. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. That's all we got for you today. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Kingsmith Podcast. We'll see y'all next week. Toodles. Peace. <laughs>